The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Tuesday, 29th of August. I'm Tim Spears and today we're asking... It could be one in and one out at Man City, but who's gone on strike? This will come to a point where the Wolves' ownership, I'm sure, will say to the sporting team who are leading this negotiation that you're going to have to accept. How good is West Ham's new big money signing? On top of that, he's going to be able to replace Declan Rice's ball progression. And what's the latest remarkable twist in Spanish football's never-ending scandal? His mother has closed herself into a church... This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. Portuguese midfielder Matheus Nunes has told Wolves of his desire to join Manchester City and has stopped turning up for training. Wolves have rejected a bid of around £47 million for Nunes, around $60 million, and want more money from City for the highly rated 25-year-old who missed training on both Sunday and Monday as he tries to force a move through to the Etihad. Nunes, who also missed Wolves' win at Everton on Saturday due to suspension, looks set to be disciplined and fined by the club. City, who recently lost Kevin De Bruyne to a four-month injury layoff, have until Friday to sign a player that Pep Guardiola called one of the best players in the world 18 months ago when Nunes was at Sporting in Portugal. David Onstein has been all over this story and he joins us now. David, so Nunes effectively on strike here. Are Wolves and Man City far apart on their valuations and is this likely to get done? Well, I don't think they're a million miles apart. Manchester City made an offer of 55 million euros that was rejected by Wolves last week. Uh, I don't think that's derisory figure or insulting in the mind of Wolves, but the whole package needs to be right. So sounds like they may like to get somebody like Tommy Doyle from Manchester City. If they could get him permanently at that sort of price range, then perhaps you do it. If it's only going to be a loan deal which I've heard suggestions City would prefer, then it's not as valuable to Wolves. And so maybe you would look to get more money if it's going to be a loan deal. And unless Manchester City get to where Wolves want them to be or a reasonable compromise is reached, then I'm led to believe Wolves are absolutely determined to stand firm. But something in me says that this may get done by the time the window closes on Friday night. Well, Wolves' stance is interesting because they've had to sell an awful lot of players this summer due to you know a pretty perilous financial position at the start of the summer. So, so what you've said there suggests that that's no longer really the case? They're not sort of desperate to sell to bring in money here because of the sales they've already made? They did bring in significant funds through the departures of the likes of Ruben Neves and Nathan Collins. But the word that was still coming from around the game was that filled a bit of the hole but there was still a hole or part of a hole and so you know this will come to a point where the Wolves ownership I'm sure will say to the sporting team who are leading this negotiation that you're going to have to accept. Just finally David, Wolves will obviously be aware of City's need here for a midfielder you know there's been suggestions they've been in for Pakitar at West Ham and there's a time issue here for City and Kevin De Bruyne is out injured and There'll be a time when they have to move on as well, right, and look to other targets. Well, with this window drawing towards a close, you wonder if they've got any time to do that. 
they did focus on Pakatar as their priority and I think a deal was pretty close between themselves and West Ham. Uh, but the investigation that he is under for alleged betting breaches by the Football Association ended that possible transfer. Uh, immediately, they then switched to alternative candidates and among them, Eberi Chayeze at Crystal Palace, but higher on their list was Matias Nunes. And uh, he was, as we revealed on The Athletic, the priority target. Uh, there have been other names mentioned in passing from Danny Olmo. I heard at one point uh, Nico Williams in Spain. And so Man City will have their list of, of possible recruits. But I think the attention that they've paid to Nunes makes me think that they'll probably get it done in the end. And if they don't, perhaps they go with what they have got at the moment, which is not too shabby. Meanwhile, Raul Canseo looks set to leave Manchester City on loan. He's on the verge of joining Barcelona, which will be the third European League winner he's played for in 2023, after lining up for City and Bayern Munich in the second half of last season. Just a few weeks ago, West Ham looked like a crisis club in the making. They'd just lost their best player, Declan Rice. They'd had poor pre-season results. There were rumours of behind-the-scenes infighting and they hadn't made a single summer signing. Now, after some big-money additions and three good results, they're second in the early Premier League table and have just signed one of the most notable players of the last World Cup. Mohamed Kudos, who scored twice for Ghana against South Korea and made a big impression out in Qatar, has moved to the Hammers from Dutch champions Ajax for a fee of £38 million, that's $48 million, plus add-ons. Kudos joins fellow new signings James Ward-Prowse, former Ajax teammate Edson Alvarez and ex-Arsenal defender Konstantinos Mavropanos. But just how good is Kudos? Well, let's get a definitive answer from tactical boffin and TIFO legend, John McKenzie, who joins us now. John, what type of player are West Ham getting here? Well, first and foremost, I would say that Kudus is a versatile player. He's played all over the pitch for Ajax. He's played on the right wing. He's played as a centre forward. He's also played as a centre midfielder and can actually even play deeper on the field as well. And I think sometimes that can mean a, a euphemism for a player who managers aren't really sure where to play him to get the best out of him uh, but when it comes to Kudus I think it's because he has a lot of good attributes so first and foremost I would say ball carrying and dribbling is what I think of when I think of Kudus uh, really fantastic ability to just move the ball down the field using using his feet uh, he's a good passer of the ball as well with both feet but what I really like about the ball carrying aspect is that he's excellent at, at receiving the ball with his back to goal and rolling defenders and, and turning them and getting into space and, and that can make him really quite nice in transition play as well so yeah very much for me a direct attacker but I think also really good out of possession as well he's going to be uh, a willing defender uh, and will, will offer a lot to a team in the centre of the field so I think in the long term I see him as a, as a central player but with the ability to play him those wide areas as well so good in transition and works pretty hard does that sort of make him an ideal David Moyes type player I think so there's a lot of surprise I think that Kudus has assigned for West Ham off the back of the way that people talk about him and think about him but as you said he's going to be good in transition he's going to be willing to sit in defensive blocks for portions of games and he's going to be willing to track back and and you know on top of that he's going to be able to replace Declan Rice's ball progression as well. So in many respects, he's a perfect player for David Moyes, I would say. The big question, I suppose, is where where does he fit in? Because 
West Ham do have a load of players uh, to fit into the midfield at the moment. So the temptation might be to play him in one of the wide positions or, or even maybe as a striker. But then you consider that Jared Bowen is, is playing well on the right-hand side, which is the side that you would expect Kudus to play on. You could maybe play him on the left instead of Ben Rama, but probably not ideal uh, in terms of fit. You could tr- try him up front. I don't really like him up front for a number of reasons, particularly uh, for David Moyes' team. He, he's not a great header of the ball. Uh, and also, Mikel Antonio is playing fantastic at the moment as well. So for me, that probably leaves roughly the, the 10 spot. I think that's probably where he fits best. But then you've got Lucas Paqueta there as well. So uh, I think that he's perfect for a Moyes team. But I guess the big question is going to be uh, about how much personnel they have available there at the moment. Yeah, I guess they've got the Europa League coming up fairly soon as well. While we've got you, John, I mean, West Ham have made a, a better start than many expected, certainly sort of two, three weeks ago, where they looked like a, a crisis club in the making, really. But um They've made a good start. Is this uh, a fair reflection of where they're at right now? How do you how do you see them doing this season? I think it's too early to tell how their season is going to go at this point. And obviously, there's a lot of narratives being spun off the back of their win against Brighton. But I think you know David Moyes has a very specific cycle. Um, he has an upswing and a downswing. We had the downswing last season where it seemed as though West Ham are going to try and develop a little bit more of a possession-heavy approach to the game, and it didn't really work very well. And we've seen a few players move on who didn't fit into the system. Uh, but it could be the case that we're now back on the David Moyes up swing which is just going back to the basics doing the things that he knows best getting the team that can play low block and counter football and cause teams problems and and will probably you know if it if it works to the best of its potential could get them to a mid-table upper table finish so um yeah I think that this is going to be classic David Moyes West Ham but the big question is always with West Ham do they want to sustainably compete at the top end of the Premier League um and is this approach the best way of achieving that so lots of interesting questions to be asked about West Ham I think this season You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic The Spanish football scandal that has been watched, listened to and read about all over the world has taken two serious twists and one very surreal one First the serious, prosecutors have launched a preliminary investigation into Luis Rubiales to determine whether his kiss with player Jenny Hermoso, which she said she didn't consent to, amounts to a crime of sexual assault. And then last night, Spanish Football Federation regional leaders unanimously called on their president Rubiales to immediately resign. All this came as hundreds of people gathered in the centre of Madrid in support of Hermoso and in protest against Rubiales. And talking of protests, now the surreal... Rubiales' mother has gone on hunger strike because of what she calls the inhuman hunt against her son, and she's locked herself in a church in the small southern town of Motril. Dermot Corrigan is right there for The Athletic following this remarkable story, and he joins us now. Dermot, tell us where you are and what on earth is going on. Yeah, so I'm in the Andalusian city of Motril, which is about an hour south of Granada and about an hour east of Malaga along the Mediterranean came down this afternoon because Luis Rubiales was the Spanish Federation president, has been temporarily removed from that job. His mother has closed herself into a church here, in uh, which is the, the Rubiales family's hometown. It's a protest that Rubiales' mother has done. She's gone on hunger strike because she feels that her son has been is the victim of a witch hunt. She does not believe that he did very much wrong at all after the World Cup final a couple or a week ago. She fully believes her son's version of events, that which was that the kiss 
with Jennifer Hermoso after the Spanish women's team had just won the World Cup was just a peck on the cheek between friends. She doesn't see anything much wrong with it at all. And in order to, I'm not sure, and nobody here really knows exactly why, but in order to draw attention to what is going on, to support her son, who is here in the town as well of Montreal, we haven't seen him, but apparently he is around. Yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. <laughs> it does seem like this is finally coming to an end in terms of Rubiales' career. The culture minister's called it his final hours. I wouldn't be so sure that this is finally coming to an end for Rubiales. Yeah, my impression is that Rubiales and the people around him are bunkering in for a long fight. Whether they're going to be able to get away with it or not, we're going to see. The Spanish government have, up until now, or up until this week, have let Rubiales away with a lot. Some people might say, that, you know, there's been the stuff that... Uh, a lot of controversies that Rubiales has been mixed up in, a lot of court cases that have been going on, and other other federation presidents in other Spanish sports have found themselves suspended for less, I would say, that, than especially what Rubiales has been accused of before, and he kind of seemed to have a little bit of support from the government. That's That's gone now. Um, the Spanish Prime Minister, acting Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez and, and other ministers have been very clear that they want him out. The problem with that is that the government can't just pick and choose the, the federation president. They have lots of strings that they can pull and lots of things that they can do to, to get rid of him. But they've started a process which is going to take a while to run and it's not moving as, as quickly as some might have hoped. Lots of crazy things are happening at the minute, so I guess it's, it's going to run and run. Some 500 kilometres north of Montreal and the hunger strike, there was some football in Spain last night, specifically a massive win for Atletico Madrid, who beat Rayo Vallecano 7-0. That's the biggest away win in their La Liga history. Griezmann, Depay and Morata were amongst the scorers. Inter Milan also registered an away win, albeit a slightly more modest one, beating Cagliari 2-0 thanks to goals from Denzel Dumfries and Latore Martinez. The Carabao Cup returns tonight and you can watch Gary Neville's Salford City v Leeds United on Sky Sports at 8pm in the UK or 3pm Eastern Time in the States on ESPN. If you're in the US, you can also watch Fulham v Spurs on the same network. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. I've been Tim Spears. Your producer was Abby Patterson and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If you're new to the show and you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button and leave us some feedback. Michael Bailey will be back with you tomorrow. Have a great day. The Athletic.